Good evening, friends. On behalf of the still nascent South Asia Centre, uh, I invite you uh, and welcome you to this evening uh, for a very special discussion of James Astle's book, The Great Tamasha. I'm Mukulika Banerjee, the Director-Designate of the South Asia Centre, but I'm faculty at the Department of Anthropology at LSE. James Astle uh, was appointed political editor at uh, The Economist in 2012. He joined it as the international security editor in 2004. He had previously filed dispatches from Afghanistan, Pakistan, and many African countries while also working for The Guardian. In 2007, he moved to Delhi to be the South Asia correspondent, writing on all the countries of the Indian subcontinent. He returned to London in 2011 to take up the role of energy and environment editor before his current appointment. James was educated at Exeter College, Exeter College, Oxford, and Tokyo University. While in Tokyo, and I love this bit, where he studied Japanese and Japanese classical theater, he wrote No and Kabuki theater reviews for the Japan Times, and we'll talk about this uh, later. Between 2003 and 2006, he moved to uh, New Delhi to be the magazine South Asia bureau chief. James has won five major journalism awards, including America's Gerald Ford Prize for Reporting on National Defense, the Grantham Prize for Excellence in Environmental Reporting, and a Ramnath Goenka Award for Writing on India. His book, The Great Tamasha, The Turbulent Rise of Modern India, was published by Bloomsbury earlier this year and has been widely and favorably reviewed. Copies are on sale after this talk. What we propose to do this evening is um, I've invited James to speak for uh, 10 minutes or so about the book, about the main arguments in the book, so you have a sense of it. And then um, we'll have a Q&A between uh, James and me. And then we'll open it up for discussion. We're aware that there, there are probably cricket tragics and India Indophiles in the audience, and it might be quite a wide-ranging discussion. Any sorts of questions are, are welcome. Um, so over to you, James, and welcome to the LSE. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll stand for the show. Yeah, yeah, if you'd like to. Can you hear me if I... Yeah, you can. Um, well, thank you all very much for coming along. Um, and I hope I have the right... I hope I understand McLeague's brief um, well enough. I'll just sort of frame the discussion that we'll have later with a few sort of introductory thoughts on why uh, I think you should consider Indian cricket quite seriously as a means to understanding India a little better, and especially the remarkable changes that have taken place in India over the last couple of decades. Um, indeed, I don't think there's a better way to understand India, modern India, contemporary India, changing India, exciting, thrusting, youthful, zesty India, than through its love, its practice, and less, uh, uh, hopefully, perhaps, um, its administration of cricket. Uh, I'm biased uh, because I, I love the game, I love India, I love the, the subtle and graceful way that Indians have traditionally played cricket. And I even uh, quite like the unsubtle and often graceless way that they tend to follow cricket. But the importance of cricket to understanding India really is not a conclusion that I have leapt to. This is not a pack conclusion or, or one that I've 
very easily embraced. It was not even a view that I, I particularly held when I started researching my book, which was planned as a, as a much narrower project, a study of the Indian Premier League, which some, most of you will, will know is one of the world's richest and indeed most controversial sports tournaments. Now here's why I think Indian cricket is so interesting and indeed why it matters so much. It matters firstly because it is just so staggeringly popular. Indians love cricket as Brazilians love football madly. And there are a billion more Indians than there are Brazilians. That means that when India plays a big international game, this is familiar, but think about it, because it is so extraordinary, especially against Pakistan, maybe 400 million people might be watching on TV. That's as many as voted in India's last general election. And unlike in an Indian election, everybody wants the same result. Victory for India, runs for Sachin, which of course has been rather few, uh, uh, few on the ground in, in recent times. Cricket love, in this sense, unites India. It's almost the only thing apart from Indian cuisine that rich and poor Indians enjoy commonly. A wealthy Indian landowner, landowner once told me that almost everything that he knew about his tenants he'd learned whilst playing cricket with them as a boy in his family fields in, in UP. A BJP politician told me that the games of street cricket he played as a boy in Delhi were the only occasion, he said rather proudly, on which he played with the local servants' children. And this was, he said, mark me, on the proviso that they had to keep wicket, which must be, I suspect, rather unpleasant on a dusty Delhi summer street. And there's an important truth there, because if rich and poor Indians all enjoy cricket, they don't experience cricket equally. And here, I suspect, is where this may get interesting for the non-cricket fan. There may be some amongst us, I don't know. Because as well as uniting Indians, cricket shows how very divided they are. Or you are, perhaps I should say, looking at the representation here. Until fairly recently, real cricket, played in whites with a willow ball, bat and a leather ball, was played almost exclusively by affluent middle-class Indians, often anglophone, high-caste Hindus, educated at a handful of public schools and universities, representing, in short, a tiny fragment of the overall population. Poor, low-caste Hindus and Muslims hardly featured on the Indian national team sheet. To illustrate that most easily, it seems that only two Dalits have played for India since independence, though they, of course, represent, so far as we can tell, perhaps a sixth of the overall population. So an elite game, raucously followed and roughly played by the masses. This has been the story of Indian cricket for most of its history, and it's a story indeed that's in some ways analogous to Indian democracy. It's also changing, uh, a, a story that's changing incredibly fast. And the biggest reason for that is television. In 1990, some more big numbers for you, India had around 30 million television households, houses with, with access to a TV set. Now it has nearly 200 million such households. And cricket has been instrumental in driving that amazing, astonishing growth. It's the tamasha that most Indians most want to watch on the 16 or 20 or 30 or however many it is now Indian sports channels that are more or less dedicated to the game. It's also the reason why so many of those Indians have bought a TV set in the first place. This is a media revolution which is also a cricket revolution because of India's part in it and because of how profoundly cricket in India and everywhere has changed as a result of this growth. 
Hungry for cricket's massive popularity, Indian broadcasters and advertisers have piled into the game, flooding it with money, transforming its image. India's captain, Mahendra Singh Dhoni, is actually, the, some of you, many of you may hate me for saying this, a fairly ordinary cricket in international terms, but he's certainly the best paid. Last year he earned around $30 million, mostly from adverts and product endorsements. He's also reckoned, and this is rather amazing to fans of English cricket, to be one of the coolest men on the planet. Thousands, maybe millions of Indian men and boys have copied his hairstyle, maybe more than have attempted to copy his batting style. How's this for a makeover of what was once, rather long ago now, an English summer game? In the farthest corners of India, where television has taken cricket, India's glitzy new cricket culture is a statement of a multitudinous becoming. It signals new wealth and ambition, hunger for prosperity. It represents the youthful energy of a sixth of the world's people surging away from poverty. It represents a faltering, but nonetheless massive, expansion in opportunity across the economy, of which a first flush of discretionary spending and a hunger for entertainment, for cricket, if you like, are indicators. The profile of India's best cricketers has changed accordingly. No longer middle-class, metropolitan and anglophone, primarily. They're more likely to be lower-middle-class, Hindi-speaking, and to hail from one of India's far-flung provincial cities. And indeed, of course, Dhoni is an example of that. This is a marvellous story. It's India's fabulous growth story written in cricket. But, and this is also where it gets interesting, the deluge of money that's come into Indian cricket has had some unappealing consequences too. That rampant, reckless commercialising of Indian cricket that has come from, from the interest of broadcasters and their enormous investments in the game is jeopardising, I would argue, many of its most original and attractive attributes. The brash and glitzy cricket that India's millions of new fans love best is a pale imitation of the elegant and subtle cricket that the best Indians once played. Yet it's the cricket that Indians most want, and the rulers of Indian cricket have, of course, no qualms in dishing it up to them. And why would they? So relentlessly are they focused on the bottom line. And the most popular cricket is, of course, almost by definition, the most profitable too. Nor, alas, is it any wonder that those rulers of Indian cricket, the rulers we should probably say of world cricket now, are so cynical or opportunistic, because they are increasingly the same people who rule India. Such has been the deluge and other deluge of Indian politicians into cricket, drawn by the massive wealth and prominence of the game. Scarcely a decade ago, few Indian politicians were involved in cricket. Now they more or less control it. And they tend to rule Indian cricket as they rule India, which is to say not very well. Corruptly, nepotistically, often recklessly. This is bad news for the global game of cricket, which India dominates. No reason why it shouldn't. But how it comports itself in cricket therefore matters enormously. Yet the significance of India's malign cricket politics indeed extends way beyond cricket. It becomes, if you look closely and think deeply, a lesson in how power operates in India, which is at least as illuminating as as any of the who's up, who's down analyses of party politics in Delhi that we all love to read about. It may also be an augury of how Indian power operates in the world. 
cricket is probably the international realm, and this is not a, a flippant point, it's probably the international realm that has been most changed by India's new economic might. Global trade and climate change negotiations, other international fora, are also increasingly feeling the force of India's new power and influence, and to a certain extent they're suffering for it. This can get depressing, as any honest assessment of Indian politics in the state should be. But it is never less than engrossing. The Tamasha of my book refers not only to cricket, but to the whole uproarious circus of Indian public life, with its corrupt and venal politicians, its, its dodgy, brilliant entrepreneurial businessmen, its magnificently vain film stars, and all those other celebrities. I can't get depressed by that for too long. It's too energetic, it's too human, it's too often amusing, it's enriching. Amid the torpor and the sleaze, there is far too much life and hope, and now, especially at this momentous time in Indian history, too much evidence of positive change to be down in the mouth for long. I think Indian cricket, with its hard-working, often rather heroic players, victors of an often corrupt and unfair selection system, and indeed the game's highly wrought followers, letting off the steam of their culturally confining lives, squandering on cricket the first discretionary spending they have ever had at their disposal, they too offer us plenty to cheer about. This is, despite the worries, a glorious story, one of the most dramatic in sports history. So this, I suggest to you, is why Indian cricket deserves some quite serious study, even by those of you, poor souls, not yet enthusiastic about the game. Thank you very much. Ourselves so we can see. Yes. Should we move over? What, sit over here? I think. Well, maybe it doesn't matter, but should I, should I sit here? Yes, yeah, sure. James, can I start by asking you. Um, can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah. Can you hear me if I don't have a microphone? Probably. Okay. Um, I should say before I start to ask James my questions that I've read the book rather thoroughly uh, more than once and if you haven't read it, do read it. Uh, it's a wonderful book. I have, uh, it's become something of a tradition that South Asia Bureau chiefs or foreign newspapers who live and work in the subcontinent then write their book on India. So we're all familiar with this genre. Uh, not all of them are worth your while and uh, worth reading, but this one is, I have to say. And if you're in this room, you must have something. Can we just have a show of hands? How many people wouldn't know what a cover drive is? Excellent. This is the kind of audience that you get at the LSE. Uh, our well-known love for, for all things. Extremely intimidating. <laughs> um, if anybody can just come here to tell us all that Sachin is the greatest player that the world has ever seen. Well, it's what, it's question nine on my list, I think. If we, if we run out of things to talk about, then we'll talk about such it. Uh, and then... <laughs> that's it. You were here. Oh, they're moving to the center. Um, but in, I was, so I read this book in May, just as it was coming out. And then when I was doing the research for tonight, I've noticed that your reviews in American newspapers have, have come out. And there, it's very interesting, they, they re reproduce the cover of the book, which some of you might have seen. 
But underneath it, the subtitle is not, as it is on the cover, Cricket Corruption and the Turbulent Rise of Modern India, as it is here, but Cricket Corruption and the Spectacular Rise of Modern India. Was that a publisher's decision or yours? Uh, it was a publisher's decision, uh, uh, and it was unsupported by me and surprisingly rather. But I think uh, it is, uh, and I think um, the U.S. paperback uh, or, uh, of, of work. But uh, nonetheless, um, I don't think it's a bad word. Of course, it it, it, it refers back to, to the martial the main title, the spectacle of India, the the, uh, the, the sense of circus. But I prefer turbulent, which. Um, uh, and presumably, spectacular was a word you toyed with. Spectacular was was a word that I um, yeah I sort of So the American audiences get uh, slightly more positive. Well, I think I think I think that the publisher. Yes, I don't, I don't think we should over, over, overplay this because I, I suspect that, um, uh, that uh, the publisher may not want to be the British title. But, but it is a slightly more positive mm. spin, I, su- I suppose. Um, what I think is more interesting is the way the book has been received mm. in, in America. Mm. Um, and that has been quite gratifying. I knew when I wrote it that there would be an audience of cricket aficionados in Australia who would uh, want to read about the game that they love and for the sort of players and the stuff like that. But I, I very much wanted it to cross over into the audience who were not really interested in the game of cricket but prepared to be convinced that um, by understanding a few basic things about cricket, they could understand an awful lot more about India mm. and its politics, its change that's so manifested in cricket. And I think that um, that has been picked up in America, and it's why it's been um, Yeah, and quite favourably, too. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. been, uh, with the exception of one uh, review in the New York Times. Yes, I saw that, I saw that, yes. <laughs> uh, it's been pretty big. But he gets facts wrong in that, which is a, a, a cardinal error. Um, but how, so if, if I mean, I, I, I labor the point because there is this, the message of the spectacular rise of India, which is about economic growth rates, is fairly widespread. And the reason why your book is enjoyable is because it's a nuanced view of that otherwise spectacular rise and suddenly being part of an exclusive club of brick countries and so on. The complexity of it, which anyone who takes India seriously and studies it seriously knows that it's nuanced and it's not as straightforward as that. <clears throat> and cricket's a good bet. But as somebody who lived and worked for writing about presumably a wide range of issues, how easy was it to write, you know, take on uh, and have your rather modest project morph into something much more ambitious, writing a big book on India. Um, what kind of uh, reservations, uh, fears did you have in putting together such a book? 
Well, um, only um, you know the, the terrible to get things right to to, oh. to to take the temperature of India, and um, refers back to the first part of your of your question, the sort of warts and all nature of India's glorious, great story. That, that you know that there are well as winners, there are lost opportunities, um, uh, there are there been a great profusion of, of, of corruption, political economy has has looked more and more rotten the more we see of it. Uh, and yet there is a fantastic story of poverty alleviation of standard opportunity. Um, of, of India internationalizing, embracing its you know increasingly powerful place in the global order. So, so of course, India is a place of, of contradictions, mm. famously. And I wanted to tell a story that um, would reflect some of that complexity. Um, and cricket as a theme made so much sense because it you know it contains so much of the bad, but it's wonderful. I mean, the India's cricket. Culture is one of its, its great contributions to, to popular culture. I think that um, it's right to celebrate it. I think even when the Indian national team could hardly win a game, um, the, they, they found plenty of uh, plenty of glory to celebrate in their in their cricketing culture, and rightly so because they produced brilliant players, a distinct style of, of playing, its own tradition, of course, and uh, the politics that really powered the rise of Indian cricket more than anything else, the rivalries between between cities, between mm. provinces, between great great players. All of this um, was you know, a rich, rich tapestry which um, contained so much that's sort of good as well as bad. Okay, let's let's talk about the IPL because that's what you started out um, yeah. by. But there, there are various ways in which one can talk about the IPL. Um, Perhaps, and, and you do it justice, if the IPL, the cricket aside, is an interesting model of business innovation generally, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, it, 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 it was a no-brainer. I mean, I think Lalit Modi, who was um, you know, not the only architect or originator of the tournament, but he was the main one, and he was certainly the guy that made it happen like that mm. when... Um, when the BCCI wanted a rival tournament um, so he he described it as a sort of brilliant innovation there's, there's almost nothing innovative about the IPL it was copied from a few very successful British and American sports tournaments it was an absolute no-brainer that um, Indian cricket fans were not getting all the product that they wanted. T20 had not really been tried in India before, but it was a, almost a no-brainer that it was going to be really, really popular. Um, but what was, what was brilliant and innovative about the IPL was um, the speed with which product um, and running. Um, and Lalit Modi did a remarkable job. He's a remarkable man in, in making that happen. And, in a, in a way, it goes back to the, the sort of good and the bad. And the bad is that power is so so personalised in India. Lavin was a man born to such privilege um, that, with a few phone calls, he could he could draw in the great and good and the power and the celebrity and the influence of India and get it behind his, his tournament. But he did that brilliantly. So I think the, you know the innovation was uh, in the implementation of the 
very, very rapid genesis. The, um, the, the, the sort of the broader business um, case for the tournament, I think, was, was less sparky. As a, as a purist, as I know you are, uh, and anyone, several people love test cricket uh, for its cricket in a way that IPL just simply doesn't have. What is your explanation for why, I mean, you mentioned it just now, why do, what is your reading, why do Indians love IPL? I mean, somebody, I think one of the, your American reviewers mentioned it has the typical three-hour Bollywood film format yeah. and it fills an evening perfectly and the song and dance has been brought in too no, sure, in certain sure. rather bizarre ways. Well, I mean, that's, that, the song was to start at the end of that first. I mean, the, this, this was an innovation um, in the way that, um, well, a, no, a no-brainer because it you know, brings together cricket and, and, and Bollywood was mm. to bring together the most successful entertainment products mm. in, in India. But that was part of, of Lalit's um, vision, if you like, from the start. It was very successful. Well, the, the fact that there were Bollywood owners. Bring, bringing, getting Bollywood owners in, getting Bollywood stars into, into the mm. crowd, um, and having a lot of sort of dancing and singing. To, to, to make it three hours of Marsha, not unlike But the, um, you know, the, 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 the more fundamental question is why do Indian cricket fans who have this remarkable tradition of cricket, which is so enriched, um, Indian popular culture and the global game of cricket, um, why do they flock to this um, sort of great fun but thoroughly third-rate uh, format of game? And the answer is, of course, that, that, they, um, that they're, new, they're, they're new cricket fans, that, that this is a new India. You know, in, the, the India um, that, has, um, that can draw 400 million people television sets to watch a cricket match. This is a new phenomenon. We have a sense of it having always been this way, but it wasn't. Um, cricket swallowing uh, in India was much, much smaller and much, much more limited to the big cities, certainly to cities, uh, before the growth uh, mm-hmm. of Indian TV. So, so these are people for whom cricket is the short form of, of the game, um, and they have no interest in its history knowledge of the great players of, of India yesteryear. And of course, that's one of the reasons why they think cricket starts and ends with such a mm. great plan. Mm. But it doesn't start there. And this is what explains, I think uh, there's a wonderful chapter on Patodi in the book, and he has a comment there, doesn't he, that Indians have a passion for cricket but don't understand it. Yeah, he's, he said there's, there's great passion but little knowledge. Right. He, I mean, he, he was um, like Batori had no. I mean, given his due, he, he was a man who had spent his married life uh, surrounded by Bollywood, and he felt that really he had nothing more to learn from from Bollywood and, and, and little entertainment. He was bored by it. He wasn't, he wasn't interested. In it. He likes um, like long form cricket and he felt that uh, what was being lost um, in his sort of rush of limited overs cricket short was some of the some of the beauty and complexity the, the, you know, the Indian popularity of that cricketing culture um, mm. and, and uh, I sympathize with him where I think um, I differ from him 
certainly in um, was that I, I want to see the other side of it. The, um, you may recall that the book ends with a sort of walk through Darabi, big slum in, in uh, Mumbai, on the night of a, of a really big IPL game between Mumbai and And I, um, with a couple of friends, and I knew this land quite well, having, having stayed there several times over my um, spent a weekend sort of discovering what cricket was all about, and how people enjoyed the game, played the game, what it meant to them. And the sort of more of this exercise was in the game. And it was one of the most moving experiences that I have had yeah, certainly in sort of the world of cricket badminton in India. Pull that slum and see it sort of alive with the silver light of television sets on in every hutment or every other hutment. Hear that terrible din of Ravi Shastri you know, echoing through, through the, the corridors. <laughs> to, 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 to see you know, sort of crowds of people spilling out as it was suffering such a that I'd be so built up that it's just it's sweltering, it's sort of gasping for, for, for breath and air, and people were sort of sweating in their sarongs, gathered around a television set, spilling out into the air. Cricket was for them far more than it could ever be for me, and I'm sort of, it's one of my you know, great passions. I take it very seriously. I love it. I was brought up and played again, adore it. These hard-working sub-dwellers of, of the Rabi cricket was really their only escape from, from a tour of the grind. They meant so much to them. And they spoke of the game, which for them was T20 in the IPL, often as not, with an enthusiasm. You know, you rarely see And I thought, well, okay, you know, I don't like the IPL too much. I can enjoy it. I watch God, God knows I watch hundreds of games. I like any cricket. Um, but I don't like um, what, it's, what it, it represents in cricket. I don't like its erosion of the traditional game. I don't think it's um, uh, the, 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 the way that the BCCI has, has prompted into the calendar is helpful, constructive. Who am I to judge, frankly, when this cricket means so much to so many? But I think that Tiger would have no patience with that here with the I think that, I mean, that is a very, very moving part of the book, and it ends on that note. <clears throat> so you hold back the judgment, and I think this is why you haven't, uh, you know, you've won a lot of the Indian audiences over with the book by not just being critical of, of this new format. But if you were to just think through that, in Tiger Patodi, who was a great cricketer, um, and in a very silent way supported the, the growth of cricket and, and arguably was one of the best captains of the team, um, managed to build that trio of, of spinners and so on that we grew up with, certainly some of us in this audience. Um, but it is a world in which uh, the, he could afford not to have patience because from what you're describing, the format of a three-hour evening match is something that somebody who works a daily wage for a daily wage can afford to watch in a way that test cricket requires you. All of us know. If you all know what a cover drive is, then you all know what it is to 
sneak off and try and watch Test match uh, during the day, which you can't, you just simply can't do with uh, if you have to work for a living. So the demographic. No, no, no. Sure, that's true. I mean, Ashish Nandi is, you know, fabulously um, strange and complex. Um, uh, I was just about to talk Says that you know one of the re- and it, so this was this is for those of you who haven't read it, it's a short, um, remarkable book written by great Bengali um, and which he himself sort of never uh, book. Um, it is not a straightforward or the book of the cricket, but he 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 makes the argument that after you know on the basis of a remarkable first sentence that. that um, Cricket is, an, is uh, an Indian game accidentally, which it is the best line in the book. It's the first one. Um, uh, he, he makes the argument that that, that cricket was culturally um, peculiar, peculiar, attuned to the the Indian, especially Hindu sensibility in all kinds of ways. Um, about the the, uh, the the themes and repetitions. Of Game ball over after over inning by innings, and he relates that to the Maratha and its narrative construction. He, uh, he talks about the ambiguity of, of a test match result. So often, neither wins, so often it's a draw, and yet there'll be a sense of moral victory. Um, he, he found this um, uh, to be something that was uh, very redolent in the and more sort of pragmatically, he said Indians have a lot of time. You know, India was a sort of poor country with a slow-growing economy, and lots of people spent a lot of time sitting <coughs> around, you know, um, uh, they would have their next slide. Cricket was singularly um, uh, well uh, well suited to, to such a, a culture. Now, the unfortunate thing is that this book was. Uh, was published just as um, one day cricket was, was surging across India um, following the 1983 remarkable run of the Indian team and uh, basically obliterated <laughs> all of all of um, uh, uh, analysis I would suggest. But but that point anyway, um, I think is a very you know pertinent one. Um, the reason, you know, in Indian cricket, always been so interesting for its interplay between elite and popular. Yeah. It was an elite game, um, but it was an elite game that was always followed by the masses. And that is, I suppose, for pragmatic reasons, played in public spaces, and people had a lot of time on their hands. Um, and, and so the test match became popular in India, though it's such a, a subtle, sophisticated game. Not always popular, always an elite game. Um, elsewhere in the world. Um, but that is no longer true. It is no longer have time. It's a, a, it's a faster, uh, more industrious society. I guess so. So, 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 so um, it doesn't have so much time to watch te- test cricket, but that doesn't absolve them from the, um, the joy and the duty of reading about test cricket, which is actually how most of us <laughs> consume yes. the game. And I think the tragedy is that Indian cricket has never really built up a strong history, tradition and culture. Um, and because of this, the, the growth of one day cricket and its dominance of the airwaves 
has, uh, has have been able to sort of destroy the, the culture really very dramatically. A lot of the um, residual attachments to test cricket in Australia and, and here is bolstered by this strong history culture. People love reading about cricket. Test match mm. you know, lends itself to any, any other format of any other game. Yes, but there is um, what's missing here is radio and the test match. Maybe you know, I, I, I take your point about the literary tradition, but some of us will remember that test match on radio, much like test match special here, had a particular cadence and, and rhythm and vocabulary, both in English and in Hindi which alternated every 15 minutes, uh, such that there was a whole rich vocabulary in Hindi to describe cricket, which has completely disappeared with television. Mm. So you get the Ravi Shastris in the world, who I, I share your disdain for. No. no, 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 no. Uh, but there is, there is OK, uh, your reservations about. Um, but uh, Yeah, this, it, there's a shrillness to it, which if any of you in the audience here, there was a wonderful Sikh commentator called Jasdev Sikh, who used to be on radio. And you just, it was, it was you know, I love listening to Test Math Special because it reminds me of that um, of that pace of which you could actually have in the background while you did homework or, or uh, you know, read a book or whatever, but it was, it was a companion and you got occasionally excited and so on. And I think that appeal of radio is something that IPL and so on have just, you know, people are watching television, like you say, it's so linked to uh, television. But that Ashish Nandi comment, which of course, you know, I, I love too, and I wonder, on the one hand, I think Ashish Nandi is a brilliant sociologist. He's been one of the most perceptive observers of, of Indian life. And that is a brilliant statement. And, and the rest of the book, frankly, is a bit of a letdown after that opening st statement. It's, it's an interesting book. Partly because he seems, I'm not convinced that India was ever that. You know, there might have been large parts of middle class India that had time, like me, to sit and do homework and listen to Tejman's special. People in Dharavi were probably still working, you know, and were just simply left out of it in a way that IPL cricket has made, made it possible for them to participate. Um, and if you have to work for a living on a daily wage, you never had leisure. Uh, industrious. Yeah, so let, let me just uh, one tiny mm. anecdote on um, radio. And uh, mm. uh, I think you're absolutely right. Cricket, long form cricket, especially lends itself so well to, to, to radio, and almost demands radio coverage if you want to follow the game because you, yes, you need to do something else at the same time. But but um, I um, I had a long and involved conversation about this. Uh, during the birth of my uh, son in the, the Apollo Hospital in, um, in, in Delhi. Um, I was given really a sort of lesson in the importance uh, of, of cricket on the radio and how people received it from the anaesthetist who was um, uh, at the time uh, making sure that my wife felt no pain as our uh, baby was born by cesarean. Um, and this is because she, and I'm not being facetious, but she had a radio which she hung from um, you know, a, a hook in the, in the, in the theatre. And, uh, and I was just trying to keep my you know, wife perfectly calm. 
slightly the wrong way, but nonetheless, I would try. And uh, she said, I said, well, what do you, what do you play? She said, I have the radio because it, it helps suit me. And, uh, and I said, what do you play? Do you play sort of Bollywood songs or you know, um, early Bollywood Indian mm. love songs? Or she said, no, well, whatever people want, I'll, 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 I'll put on. But mostly people seem to like <laughs> and I say, well, that, 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 that would be great because I mean, I, I like cricket. And my wife probably liked cricket. My wife probably said, yeah, okay, I didn't mind cricket. And, and, um, and, and, and this wonderful doctor um, then uh, sort of gave us, well, she, she found some cricket um, and, uh, and, and then uh, gave us her own sort of the story of you know, her life in cricket, which. which um, covered the crucial next 40 minutes before we, we heard our baby cry for the first time. Oh. Um, and she, and she, 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 she uh, it, it was a story that was so typical of uh, you know, that segment of middle class in wonderful woman. I, I, um, I, I do hope she's still kind of um, listening to cricket in her surgery, uh, in her theatre in the Apollo Home Hospital in, in Delhi. But she, you know, she, she remembered the first time that she'd heard cricket on the radio as an eight-year-old. The first time that she'd watched cricket on TV, which then Greg's tour of, of, of India, which her uncle had bought her a little black and white TV mm. in Delhi to watch the game. And, uh, uh, and so it went on. She'd sort of travelled watching it around the, the um, English-speaking world as a doctor. Now she was back in India, delivering babies. So all these new babies being born into the sound of cricket, I mean, they don't have a choice, right? They're right literally from birth, they are weaned on... on, on well, my, my sons um, don't have much choice. No, no. They can choose later. Just um, James, and I, I'm conscious that we will open this up for um, uh, for a wider discussion. But what I particularly liked about your book was um, there's a long there's a uh, there's a putting in perspective of the IPL story, which it's with its huge sort of three billion dollar annual revenue, etc. Um, which is the most is the latest manifestation of cricket in India. The fact that the story goes back a very long way. Um, what you know, right into the colonial period, which is where Indians learned to play cricket, not by being taught, but by watching, because they were contiguous. The, the Medan was, was, after all, an open space that you could watch and learn. And you have a wonderful account, which even my nine year old daughter has been completely inspired. She actually read that chapter of James's book, which is remarkable to draw such a young audience in. Um, it, so it is very accessible and readable. Um, but what seems to me running through the book is a story of power. So there is the, there is the power, the colonial dynamics of power, of who was allowed and not allowed to play cricket to start with, and then who was allowed to tour England, and, and the first time the MCC actually agreed to play India, and what kind of team it is, and the princely states and their dynamics around them, and the elitism, and then the democratization of it. So there is a whole domestic story that comes right into this. A wonderful chapter on Sharad Pawar, uh, a politician and the agriculture minister, but who also is the head of the Cricket Council of India, right? Is that what it's called? ICC. He, he, he'd no. been head of the BCCI, BCCI. The ICC. Now he's back in the MCA. Right. So you made the BCCI again. Uh, so a politician. <laughs> <laughs> 
typical <laughs> uh, for Sh- and it's, a, it's, it's the best uh, uh, portrait of Sharad Pawar I've ever read and he's a very written about politician but not quite profiled in that way and there's a whole international story of power which is the colonial story but also the fact that it's probably the only game in which uh, India certainly or any other power is it's not dominated by uh, a European or a North American rule setting body like the Olympics or, or anything like that where there the IPL calendar has now begun to dictate the Ashes calendar and other cricketing calendars so this, uh, so is the power of, is it a power, is it a story of a democratization on the one hand? Is it a silent revolution of, you know, of the sort that you kind of hint at? Uh, you mentioned that there are only two Dalits, but there's also the changing profile of the Indian cricket team, which you very nicely captured in, in uh, James had a recent piece in The Economist on uh, Sachin. Um, but why the passing of Sachin, the, passing of Sachin, the retirement of Sachin, it feels like it, but the reti- Sachin's 199 test, which begins at Eden Gardens tomorrow, um, is so poignant because it's not just about Sachin Tendulkar, but the passing of an era. Um, what, so is, you know, where, where do you, what is the story of power as you would like to tell? Well, so um, the, the long and the short of it is... Um, Starts with a question: Why has it? Why has it been so successful in India? Why has this game that the British never really meant to, um, uh, to, to bequeath to India? It was not a colonial project to, to spread cricket um, as a sort of, sort of missionary zeal. Why, nonetheless, has it proved to be so successful? Um, and um, I think that the answer is a political one. Indeed, it does. Um, involves power. Um, there are many facets to it. There isn't a, 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 a simple or easy reason, and I'm sure that Ashis um, has got um, you know, a number of things right in his own um, analysis. I'm sure were important, but ultimately the way that cricket was from the very, very beginning um, associated with establishment game of, of power, of authority and influence. That's why those, those Parsi boys and um, rather well-to-do Hindu boys in Bombay as it, as it was um, played the game with such encouragement from their elders in the early 19th century. And of course um, uh, that uh, the, the power of imitation um, quickly um, became more many other things, not least the rivalry between those same high-caste Hindus and, and, and the way that um, cricket was um, both uh, a game um, of the, of the colonizer, a game of prestige, um, the game that the Victorians most associated with themselves and the best of themselves, but at the same time a game that had become uh, interwoven with Indian own communal rivalries um, that's the story of Indian cricket. It was that political fuel in the tank of the game spread that, that, that drove it on. So indeed, you know, much of that um, was still relevant until quite recently. In the last you know, couple of decades, you know, we, we can talk about the importance of, of, of the establishment of this, that, the other Indian cricket. 
all of it is still relevant, but ultimately, um, it's a business story. Commercialization. But, but the way that the game was patronized by the elite, the way that um, rivalries were, were fought through cricket, um, has remained true um, right through for the first century and a half. Can we take some questions? I, I remember, yes, you had a... Hi there. Um, I was wondering to what, uh, sorry, I got a bit of a heavy cold. Um, I was wondering to what extent uh, political patronage um, is currently influencing the selection of the Indian Eleven. Uh, whether you have any concrete examples of how that continues to play a major role in uh, the composition of the team, and perhaps building on that briefly, do you think um, a kind of associated theme that uh, the cult of personality perhaps has enabled Sachin Tendulkar to prolong his career um, a little bit longer than perhaps he should have done, um, and that you know, in recent the last few years, his uh, position in the team has been down to a force of personality and the fact that perhaps uh, people have been afraid to drop him um, or he's had sort of free reign to carte blanche to decide when he wants to retire um, and so yeah th those would, that would be the question really and then lastly do you think there's again building on that uh, there's a danger that perhaps any one individual or combination of individuals could become bigger than the game and therefore you know, jeopardise the integrity of it in that respect um, but, uh, so the first, um, I think uh, this is one of the one of the enormous bonuses that have come has come with, with the of Indian cricket. Um, it's become much much selection has become much much less political. Um, of course, patronage and unfairness and nepotism still operates quite thickly. Though it is of the game of state cricket, but the Indian national team is much based on all results, and um, how can it be performed? How can it be otherwise when players are so often exposed to so many millions of That's that, that's a definite good that has come with and um, on such, how can you, a mere mortal, asking questions with regard to this cricket or cricket? Um, uh, uh, no, uh, look, you know, clearly uh, uh, Sachin um, has not been worth placing the team for a year or so. Um, that's because um, he's been scratching the last runs. It's also um, because India has such an incredible capacity of brilliant young dashing um, batsmen uh, as we basically this crazy one day so so you know this hot competition for any in the batting pages right now. So so no on on, on recent performances actually hasn't been worth his place in the team. He's been it would be unfair to say that he's undroppable because I think you, the, the, the truth is that his his retirement has probably come up uh, there's been some quite considerable backroom pressure from um, the selectors. Um, he, he, he retired from one day cricket when he was basically told he'd be dropped if he didn't. And I don't think uh, that ever reached that critical moment with his test career, but he had to go to 
Now, we can all be critical. I mean, and the book is at times critical of Indian uh, uh, cricket administration. But Sachin has been such a remarkable sportsman, and his place in Indian cricket, you know, public life is so enormous, so almost unimaginable um, to, to outsiders. Like, like some slack, I think. <laughs> you know, you know, it's good. It's good that he's going now, and we can all, you know, enjoy his career. Um, and there was a third thing. Is, is there any individual bigger than the game? Why is there a danger? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the, the danger is um, not so much. Well, the, the danger is that the, the um, if, if I understand your question rightly, that, that India, um, the BCCI, which is now bigger, if you like, than the sort of consensual collaborative. Um, way in which international cricket has hitherto been run. Of course, there are abuses and exceptions, and Australia's, the English, wielded too much power and um, all the rest of it. But ultimately, they did quite a remarkable job in, in running the game for the good of the game with as much buy in as I think they, it's not being too generous to them, much buy in as they could muster from all of the, the, uh, the test class nations. The BCCI, the Indian Cricket Board, doesn't go about its business in that way, and that is um, a considerable danger to that consensual, collaborative, international culture, if you like, the primacy of international cricket, which, for me, as traditionalists, some of you said, you know, is, is a pretty important part of the game's culture. Mm. Uh, James, I think people are struggling to hear you at the back. Are you? I'm so sorry. either you come up yeah. or you should we take the microphone? Ah, that's okay. Um, there's a gentleman at the back and then one in the front. Yeah. You gave us, you gave us that incredible uh, picture of the numbers of people watching the Pakistan-India Test match, which is mind-boggling. Can you say something about the role and involvement of women? Are they playing cricket on the streets of Delhi? Um, somewhat um, uh, many more than you would see playing in the streets of London but of, of, of course um, uh, cricket um, cricket is a game to be played is, is very male dominated in India um, and the Indian cricket women's cricket team doesn't you know, rank against the, the English and Australian women's cricket team I think, I think it's fair to say at the moment um, but Again, this is another interesting recent development, the way that women have been drawn into um, the cricket TV audience by short-form cricket, but especially by the IPL. The, the, one of the big um, question marks um, against the, the IPL's business case at the beginning was, um, was precisely this. Um, the, they knew Lalit Modi and his marketeers knew that they would um, they would be on in households that had two TV sets, but that describes I can't remember how many off the top of my head. But anyway, a minority, quite a small minority of those 180 odd um, million TV households in India today. Most Indian household TV households have one TV set. So the, the, the worry for them was that where the housewife, who is always um, considered to have the ultimate control over the remote control, um, uh, 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 you know, got 
was, was there getting bored by cricket and wanted to watch her Hindi soaps instead, um, whatever the man of the house and his sons wanted, the IPL wouldn't be on. Um, and yet it, it turns out that um, because of the celebrity appeal and the glitz and the, the Bollywoodization of cricket through the IPL, especially um, Indian women seem very happy to watch it. So the, the, the figures that they often quote are between 40 and 45 percent of uh, an IPL audience is female. Um, I hope that answers your question. I'm not entirely sure, James, that I, I buy your explanation that women are watching cricket because of Bollywood glamour. It might be because they actually enjoy the game. Uh, there, are... there are exceptions, probably. <laughs> no, I'm far from an exception. Please, uh, right up in front, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just wanted to ask whether... Can you speak into the microphone yes, so people sorry. are back? Yeah, uh, I don't want to put words in, into your mouth, but I wanted to ask whether uh, you, know, uh, you personally think there are any lessons from the poor way in which cricket is administered if we are to understand why India now as an economy is underperforming again. So we've gone from a phase where people were euphoric about converging with China, but we're diverging again. Uh, and the divergence has started at a time when the international environment was actually favorable, with the Fed now likely to tighten on a multi-year basis. I could see India underperforming China by rather more. Yes. So are there lessons in terms of the poor way in which cricket is administered uh, that are sort of more general in terms of Indian economic... For sure, for sure. They, I mean, it, perhaps the first um, uh, lesson or parallel um, uh, is about expectations, isn't it? The, 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 the expectation that India would rapidly match and soon outperform China was, um, to some of us, um, uh, wishful at the time, and in retrospect looks completely unrealistic. Um, possibly um, uh, that squares with the enormous uh, overestimation of the Indian team's ability through, through the ages, and, and uh, uh, the, the, the terrible kind of dismay that gre greeted a um, rather predictable Indian cricket defeat um, may not be that different from some of the exaggerated um, dismay that has, um, has greeted the, the, the drop in the Indian growth rate and other you know, manifest microeconomic problems of the last couple of years. And the cause of those problems, um, which I think it's fair to say are largely avoidable um, uh, or certainly the drop could have been much less than it's turned out to be in the future. The, the short-term future could look much rosier than it currently does. Well, the reasons for those things, yeah, are are, are, are very much manifest in cricket and in, in Indian public life generally, and it starts with corruption, um, the weakness of institutions, the, um, uh, the misuse of them by uh, self-interested individuals, um, the changing regimes that come when power um, changes, uh, changes hands because power is so personalised. These are all the, the lessons of the, the gross grass scandals of um, late 2010, early 2011, 
which was so instrumental I've got those years right, yeah, which was so instrumental in, in first shaking confidence in the Indian economy, freezing the bureaucracy just to file stop moving around um, uh, the government got uh, uh, got twitchy ministers stopped speaking to businessmen businessmen stopped making investments I wonder if that story hasn't been um, exaggerated a little bit but nonetheless that's a big part of, of the downturn and, and of course it started with a cricket scandal the, the, the first big corruption scandal of 2010 was the, was the, uh, uh, the alleged corruption scandals uh, in the IPL which were uncovered early that year leading to Lalit Modi's rather hasty um, removal from, from the country um, and then of course they were those scandals uh, for you know, mere 50 million dollars, 100 million dollars over the, the bidding for, um, uh, for two additional IPL teams and other scandals that were alleged at that time were quickly dwarfed by the much much larger ones in telecoms and in mining and all the rest of it that were subsequently uncovered. So, so graft, abuse of power, um, inst- institutional frailty, these are all blights on the Indian economy and, and not just the, you know, the economy but um, the welfare system etc which are also absolutely manifest in cricket yeah. uh, the lady at the back Thank you. Um, I was wondering, you've talked about how cricket is a unifying factor in India, uh, but we also, I'm interested in the, the regional aspects. Uh, we're increasingly talking about how regional politics is making impact at the centre. To what extent does this have, uh, is to what extent is this mirrored in, in cricket, for example, in the setup of the IPL? How are regional rivalries and regional politics manifest in cricket? Well, the uh, yes, there are, um, but it's uh, it's it's not a sort of straight line story. Um, the, the the big um, the the big um, uh, the big domestic cricket tournament that preceded the IPL um, and followed the pentangular, the, the, which at least some of you will, will know about, the great communal cricket tournament of, of um, the end of the uh, 19th century and early 20th century in Bombay. Well, the, this, this intermediate tournament was the Ranji Trophy, which still exists, um, but uh, was through the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, by far the most popular tournament in, in India. And um, Ram Guha writes very brilliantly about its importance uh, at a time when the Indian provinces and, and newly formed states were sort of wrestling for identity, uh, asserting their sub-national nationalism um, and the, this cricket tournament was very important in that, in that process such that for example the big regional rivalries between Karnataka and Tamil Nadu or, or um, uh, um, Maharashtra and uh, 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 well, Mumbai and Delhi really rather than Maharashtra and uh, other, uh, another state Maharashtra Gujarat maybe these these became enormously important grudge matches in that in that tournament so so yes you do have that tradition of, of provincial rivalry reflected in in cricket um, and at the same time there were sort of other themes for example the way that Mumbai
why Bombay as it was as the, as the centre of Indian cricket and as certainly the, the centre of Indian cricket Patrick sucked in the best young players from other states so this was you know, a sort of counterforce it was centralisation as opposed to devolution um, and these, were, these, these all fed into that, that narrative of, of, of wrestling and state making um, especially in the 50s and 60s in India where um, new states were, were argued for and some were born that, that trophy um, really died in, in popularity in the 70s and 80s and I think that you know, these millions of new Indian cricket fans who, who, uh, for whom the IPL was formed have very little knowledge of it a Ranji game draws hardly any crowd in most parts of the country today so in a sense what we're seeing with the IPL is an effort to kind of um, uh, renew um, a provincial rivalries in cricket through cities, not through states. Um, we, haven't, we haven't got there yet. Um, the, the, the association between uh, the, the, the association of sort of city dwellers and their local IPL team is still quite weak. By and large they associate themselves with their favourite players, whether it's Sachin in Mumbai or, or uh, Sewag in Delhi or Dhoni in, in Chennai. But that it will come um, just as it's it is, a, you know, was a profound feature of the, of the Ranji tournament, and is a profound feature of of English football. Regional politics and rivalries and, and pride will, of course, be expressed in the tournament so long as it as it matures and stays stays around. And then. Um, given the loss of following that English county cricket has had and the decline that I guess a similar sport is finding in the States in baseball, isn't it a rather luxurious problem to have that we've got 400 million people watching the wrong format of the game? <laughs> yeah, well, we just understand what the problem is, you know. Um, it's not a problem in and of itself. I think it's wonderful that they're enjoying cricket, as I, as I said. I don't begrudge them that enjoyment. I celebrate it. I think it's great. Um, uh, but it's um, uh, I, I, what you're really saying is, does it matter if um, if Test match cricket or international cricket withers and dies? And that is a serious possibility. There are some on the Indian cricket board who just don't rate. Not, not only do they not rate international cricket and its culture, but they resent it because um, so many uh, almost with the single possible exception of England all um, India's opponents are enriched by the experience of of playing India and the Indian board tends to think that that's their money um, that's subsidising the other cricket boards and they don't really like that, they'd like to be keeping the money for themselves, which they could do if they were running domestic tournaments only So, so does it matter if they get their way, that minority voice on the Indian board and international test cricket withers and fades and I think it does because I think it's um, it's why cricket is such a peculiarly interesting game I think that T20 is a good game but it's not a peculiarly interesting one James, can I just on that uh, intervene with earlier you were saying that on the whole the administration of international cricket England-Australia has been reasonably fair 
Now, this is in the back of uh, next summer will be the first time that India plays five tests. Yeah. Right? So there has been, I mean, it's something that's irked cricket fans in India consistently over a long period of time. Um, and I say this obviously from personal experience that um, even when India was the top rated test team, England never thought it was worth its while to play three, you know, more than three games or sometimes two. Are you, are you sure the Indians asked? Asked for five games? I don't know. We just assumed you were being parsimonious. No, no, no. I think for um, for for nigh on for for nigh on two decades, um, the Indians have been able to pretty much have the series that they wanted against whoever they wanted. I see. So it's the Indians agreeing to play the five next year. Absolutely, yeah. Interesting. So this is this is true, right? From when Gavaskar and and Mike Grayley no, uh, played. India's power. It was not a level playing field. Um, uh, England and Australia, as their um, uh, sort of adjuncts, um, wielded um, particular power uh, uh, over over the workings of of Indian of, of, of world cricket. They also, of course, had a veto. Um, over the um, dis- decisions of the, of the ICC until um, whenever it was that Dalmia came, came in and um, uh, yeah late eighties. Um, that veto was never used. Um, importantly, nor nor was there, uh, there ever any you know grave risk that it, that it would be. Um, nonetheless, it was enough to enrage um, uh, many non-Australian or, or English cricket fans. I understand that, and I think that um, a, a lot of the carping against the BCCI from England and Australia um, is uh, you know is 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 the sort of infuriation of people who used to rule and and uh, are not used to being kicked around. So so. So uh, they'll have to get used to that, but that doesn't mean that um, India shouldn't, uh, the Indian Cricket Board shouldn't behave more, more responsibly. Sure. Yeah. There's a question on the front. Thanks. Um, I think I'm one of those rare creatures who likes Test cricket one day and IPL. Um, I don't know how many there are, but I'm, well, I'm one, one too. <laughs> what? I'm one too. Oh, there you go. Who do you support? IPL team. Well, well I, um, uh, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I, I, anyway, I, I'm from Bangalore, so I, I, yeah. Well, so you're one of the few. Um, you have one of the few teams that actually has drawn on that regional. Um, exactly. I was just going to say. So. I, 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 I felt a sort of sl- slight kind of um, pull towards Delhi because it was my it was my home city, if you like, because my children were born in the city, and because I spent a lot of time with 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 the team. They were extremely good to me and had me along for the um, uh, fourth IPL. See, third IPL season, I followed most of the games and I saw a lot of the team and the management, etc. Um, so I'm grateful to them too. But they didn't win a game and <laughs> I got very bored watching them. Right. Uh, and I just wanted to say I agree. I don't know if it was you and some other people who said there is this sort of sense of identity that now cities have through that team. And, you know, even though it's players like Gail who, who are not even Indian, uh, you know, they're giving them this sort of. Uh, thing to celebrate and so on. Anyway, um, and this, so my question is, and I apologize because I came in a bit late from uh, an appointment. 
Um, I had done a paper for a conference long ago, but it was about Azaruddin, Muhammad Azaruddin, and he captures everything that you're talking about, because I think he was probably the first um, sort of iteration of the corruption and the match-fixing and so on, even though he never got actually implicated, I think, if I'm not mistaken, in the end. And now, in terms of rising... No, he got, he got let off by an Indian court. Right. He got let off, and now he's a member of parliament, if I'm not mistaken, from Hyderabad. Yeah, but wrongdoing has never been a, um, a barrier to that. <laughs> right. So, I mean, this kind of epitomizes what you're saying about, you know, corruption and the rise of uh, India and so on. But also, because, let, you know, let's not destroy our hero, and he was one of, he was absolutely my hero as of when I was growing up. David Gow was my, was my um, you know, uh, hero above all heroes, and, and I saw in Azza so much... Uh, of, of mm-hmm. David Gower, he was the Indian David Gower. Um, Azraddin, let's just let's remember the, the glory and the beauty of his game because oh, he absolutely. epitomised that risky tradition of Indian oh, absolutely. I and I adore him. him for it, even as I hate him for his corruption, right. as alleged. If and even like. even beyond that, he was probably one of the first who was um, when you said the Bollywoodization, he was dating the Sangeeta Bajlani, this actress outside of his marriage and so on. And you know, there was all these other sort of gossip. And quite a poor boy who made it. To be captain of exactly. India, one of the first to do so. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, do you want to comment on that a little bit more? Because that was something that was really interesting for me, and that's why I wrote whatever. Yeah, I think, I think we've, we've, we've probably commented on most of it, uh, with me interrupting very rudely your, your questioning, but Azraddin is a very interesting character in the, in the emergence of, of India's modern cricket culture. It was very important. Um, I, uh, it, it is ultimately... You know, very demoralising that the um, that the corruption and the uh, the greed, uh, the institutional weakness, the culture of impunity, which he in the end came to to represent, is still so obviously alive and well in in Indian cricket, and we've seen examples of that only this year with the latest spot fixing scandal in in the IPL. So um, Azraddin is is a, a classic fallen hero of of Indian cricket, a, a wonderful, glorious artist of the game who, alas, had some quite considerable frailties. In politics? Um, uh, I mean, you know, Indian... So, I mean, there are interesting things, I think, to say about cricketers that go into Indian politics and whether they do any good, and the answer is know that none of them has, has ever distinguished themselves in, in Parliament in any way whatsoever um, except um, turning out for the uh, Lok Sabha cricket team, <laughs> which um, uh, I was very unfortunate to, to play against um, uh, uh, in one of my, uh, in my, my sort of early weeks in, in Delhi after being sent by The Economist. And I, got a, I got a sort of call on a Friday night, will you, will you turn up for the Foreign Correspondents Club against Parliament tomorrow? And I said, yeah, sh- sure, I'd, I'd love a game. Thinking, I, you know, just stupidly didn't didn't twig what that would mean, and, and I suppose assumed that you know I'd you know get to bowl at a bunch of sort of you know fat old tryhard men, and I'd, I'd I'd take six for, but but instead you know the the, the team having four former Test uh, <laughs> stars of the Indian uh, team, and uh, uh, they absolutely destroyed us. Um, it was a very very. 
tasting experience. Uh, Azza uh, was not in uh, Parliament. Had Azza been playing, then I would have, uh, I'd probably forgiven him, him, him uh, everything to have just seen his cover drive at um, close quarters. But anyway. Mm. There, there's something interesting in um, Rahul Dravid's interview yesterday on Sachin. It's a wonderful, long interview where he really gets to say. Um, and he implicitly, in that wonderfully understated Dravid way that we all uh, recognize so well, um, comments on, on precisely this issue, I think, without saying it, that rather than marking a slide of moral corruption, as you seem to be implying, so it's personal politics, it's, it's, the, it's the cheating and you know, all of that professionally, that the constellation of Sachin and Dravid and Ganguly and Lakshman as absolutely exquisite batsmen in their own ways, I Dravid wins that, but, but all the others, Lakshman and Ganguly too, as beautiful, but not just being incredibly beautiful batsmen to watch, but also having a probity in their uh, conduct, both in public and private, was incredibly important somehow to re-establish that ethic of the gentleman's game or just what Indian cricket stood for in the past so as not to see it as an as a inevitable slide into, into the moral corruption that, that your book refers to. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I, I, I think um, we have to be a little bit careful with um, the passing of that generation uh, uh, and what that means for Indian cricket because there's a, there is a little bit of a risk of sort of, of, of class bias or snobbery, if, if you like. There are young Indian cricketers from poor backgrounds who are just as upstanding uh, and as well-mannered and as modest in their comportment um, as, as those great men who were you know, fine, fine individuals as they were wonderful batsmen. Uh, and indeed, I write about one, uh, Cheteswar Pajara, in some detail, who's a wonderful boy from a, a poor background in, in Rajkot in Saurashtra. But nonetheless, it is true that there is a profound cultural shift going on uh, among Indian cricketers and the passing of that basically last batch of privileged middle-class um, uh, Indian batsmen the, the, the sort of traditional stock of Indian batsmen does signal that the the uh, the younger Indian cricketer um, is not only less likely to be interested in Test cricket or cognizant of the game's traditions, um, he's also more likely to be uh, in love with sort of celebrity and to enjoy kind of um, uh, being uh, being seen as a celebrity as a, as a Bollywood style celebrity always on. Indian TV, reality shows, and all the, all the rest of it, and that changes things. Not necessarily, f- f- you know, for the worse, but it changes things. It means that um, Indian cricketers are not quite the role models. They're different role models um, from those fine uh, uh, national heroes of now yesteryear, and uh, I think that. Um, that is a shame. I think it's sad. I think that uh, uh, Indian cricketers will, not, will be, you know, bigger celebrities than ever, but they won't have that sort of revered place as, they, as that, that sort of fusion mm. of, of, of national hero akin to a, the Indian soldier yeah. um, uh, with the sort of the spice of celebrity that even Patordi had. I think that is that is past now. They're more celebrities than they are revered national champions. Thank you. 
thanks very much for your introduction as well. And I wanted to actually go on to your metaphor about cricket and politics. The question is going to be about cricket, but really I'm interested in the politics, if that makes any sense to you. Yep. I mean, one small thing just to say about India, India almost never loses a series at home in tests, but always wins... Uh, sorry, yeah, almost never loses at home, but almost never wins abroad. It's quite interesting in its way. It's just about something parochial and so on. But the question is this. You know about currently England, as a test side, is doing really well. And in some ways, it's because the whole punches higher than all its parts, I think. I mean, you may have a comment, but that's, what I, that's my sense of English cricket at the moment, test cricket. India's the opposite, almost. The whole almost never punches higher than its parts. I'm wondering if you think that's true to some extent, and whether it's true politically in India as well. The states and so on. I mean, would it almost be better India split between the Hindu South and the North and so on? Does India punch as well as a whole as some of its parts do? Um, I think we have to be careful with these metaphors. Um, they work well as snapshots, but when they become allegories, um, we can uh, make fools of ourselves. I mean, I think that the uh, but everything you say is pertinent and interesting. I think the. Um, the point about the Indian team so often disappointing seeming to be less than some of its parts is um, uh, and this is more really about the past than the present I think is, is absolutely pertinent and uh, it, it, it stems from a few things um, uh, it stems from the, uh, the uncertainty and the corruption of the selection process there was always a lot of resentment um, between team players who felt that they weren't getting a fair crack of the whip or that others were more, more privileged than, than they were, had more patronage than, than they had. Um, it stemmed a little bit from those regional rivalries that we discussed. Um, but m- most conspicuously, it was a product of weak leadership. Um, and uh, I can't really tell you why that was. It's partly um, another illustration of maladministration that Indian cricket captains tended to be um, chopped and changed all, all the times. But, but when India found strong leaders and uh, left them as captain of the national team for a long time and there haven't been very many of them um, the team tended to, to do well. Of course Tiger Pataudi's reign was an example of that Saurav Ganguly's reign, especially the first part of it was a great example of that and Dhoni has done very well too. Um, so I think uh, uh, bad politics, regional rivalry and weak leadership go a long way to explaining why the Indian cricket team was traditionally often less than the sum of its parts. There was, I'm sorry, the last, the second... Yeah, well... I mean, again, I, I wouldn't want to sort of extend the cricketing um, metaphor too far, except to say that if 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 you broke off um, the uh, you know the south, the southern states, or the southern western states, of, of course, it would make a, a much richer country. But um, the the east and the northeast um, would would be a much poorer one. So, I mean, uh, India's India's uh, you know an enormous country with enormous um, regional. Uh, Amongst other um, wealth disparities, um, so yes, if you, uh, in that sense, it, 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 uh, it, it, it the, the whole doesn't reflect the best of the parts. Are there any other questions? No, the second one. Make it quick. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yes. 
I just w uh, wanted to ask you to look to the future. So, uh, and I'm going to give it plenty of time. So, in your lifetime, do you expect either of these things to happen? A, uh, the IPL to acquire a, a better reputation in terms of probity, so that the so that Indian companies who care about their reputation might actually start sponsoring a team in the IPL, which, of course, you know, they run a million miles from the IPL at the moment. And my second question is, will the Indian administrators uh, stop being bullies? I mean, I'm thinking, for example, of the way they bullied the poor South Africans recently. Uh, do you think that will change in your lifetime? How long do you think I've got, you know, to live? <laughs> Um, I, I think that uh, I, I don't know how long it will take. I mean, it's, it's the, the of, of course the IPL will clean its. Uh, the, the IPL is here to stay. That's the first thing. And as it's here to stay, it, it will um, it will stay, stabilize, mature, clean itself up, and find its place. Um, uh, the, the, the Indian board and the broadcasters will come to some sort of agreement in the end about how big they want this this thing to be. Um, and when it finds that equilibrium, it will settle. Uh, it will become more rules-based. Um, uh, uh, the institution of Indian cricket more broadly will, will become more reliable and less corrupt, as will all, all India's institutions. How long will that, will that will take, I don't know. Um, in, in a sense, um, I think the answer to your second question is uh, uh, a little bit... <laughs> Um, I feel a bit more pessimistic. I mean, I, I see no sign that uh, India's cricket administrators want anything other than as much power and, and sway as they can get over, over the game. And uh, I think that they will, the risk is that they will do real damage to the game. As I see it, um, as they say, they will just get more control. Um, but as the, the good of cricket and the future of the Test match and of international cricket are not high priorities for many of them, not all of them, but for many of them, those things will suffer as a result. So they may become uh, more responsible cricket administrators, but I think there is a great risk that they will change cricket fundamentally and not for the better before they, they uh, uh, improve themselves. That may not happen, and of course, there are signs of hope, and um, the you know the the, the emergence of Srinath and Kumble, um, uh, former great players in uh, Karnataka's cricket administration, is one example of that. So there are countervailing forces, and we'll see how well they do. But I mean, the odds are stacked against them. Can I ask if any of the women in the audience have a question? <laughs> You're letting the side down. Mukli is still smarting. I... <laughs> you, you've accused them of being interested only in Bollywood stuff. No, that's <laughs> utterly unfair. <laughs> Can I then ask you a final question, James, which is, is it too far-fetched, thinking about your days in Japan, to draw a parallel between the role of Noah and, and, and Kabuki in Japanese life and, and cricket in India? Have you thought about it? I can't say that I have. Um, uh, in, a, in a sense, though, I, mean, I, I suppose the... 
you know, rather, I, I have I have thought about the comparison between no theatre. I have to and test cricket. I have to I have to confess. Um, and and you know, the no was a a folk tradition uh, with its roots in um, you know seasonal rites, um, like so many theatre traditions, which was um, refined and refined, embraced by the aristocracy, embraced by the court, uh, and refined and refined and refined some more until it became ultimately completely uh, inaccessible to the uninitiated. And uh, you could, you know, there's been a little bit of, of, of that progression in the construction of, of test cricket from the popular game of stick and ball that, that cricket first was. Um, uh, what happened with the no theatre was that it ultimately became so inaccessible that um, nobody wanted to watch it anymore. So uh, only sort of um, uh, strange nerds like um, me, uh, you know, these days interested in it. And uh, test cricket, and this is the glory of the game, um, never, never, I think, um, fell into that trap because it it was still so accessible, even as um, it was so sophisticated. Um, nonetheless, uh, it's been found out because uh, short because a new popular you know revolution has taken place, and the short forms of the game are eating into it. So, I mean, I, I think Test cricket, you know, should be as it always has been, still popular. It, it is still accessible. It is, is still something that the un, uninitiated can enjoy. But um, it, it must be kept alive, and it must be marketed, uh, and it can't allowed to kind of wither, lose airtime at the expense of these these more obviously popular, more accessible, ultimately less satisfying formats. Thank you. Well, I hope you'll all rush out and buy the book. James will stay in and sign any copies if you'd like him to. But uh, please join me in thanking James Aston. Thank you.